Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Vol Nation. Welcome to another episode of Believe in Tennessee Football. I'm your host, as always, Kyler Kerberson, joined with Reed Bacon. So today, we're going to do a full breakdown of a practice we got to go to last Tuesday. Now, me and Reed talked about offense and the whole side of that ball first, and then defense. We had a little technical difficulties with our offensive side. So today's podcast is just going to be the defensive side, but we're also going to talk about what we see this season being like for this Tennessee team, uh, how our expectations are for Hypel moving forward, and talking about Henry Toa Toa, if he's actually worth all of this hype. So it's still going to be a fantastic podcast, um, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So let's jump into it. The game. Snap, the kick is in the air, and the kick this time is no, sir, Reed. No, sir, Reed. Final score Tennessee 20, Florida 17. Pandemonium reigns. Looks, loads up. Fires long for the end zone. The pass is going to be caught by Tennessee. Tennessee wins! by Tennessee to one Jennings. Jennings makes the catch in the end zone on the Hail Mary. Down at the 35, to the 40, to the 45, to the 50, to the 45, to the 40, to the 35, 30, 25, 20, 15, 10, 5. What did he do? All he did was score. Joey Pitt, touchdown on play number one. All right, so before we jump into the show, you know we got to start with our presenting sponsor, Bet Online. So I know March Madness is over, but you still got the NBA, you got NHL going on right now, so there's plenty of things to be betting on, and Bet Online is the place to do it. Uh, Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Uh, has you covered with all the news, the scores, the odds. And it's the best way to place your bets. And it's free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device and sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. I am so excited for our newest sponsor, uh, Monster Bass. Uh, Monster Bass is a fun and affordable way to get the best new baits from the fishing industry's top brands delivered to your door each month. Uh, It's a premium subscription fishing company that handpicks the best baits uh, based on where you live and where you fish. So no more guessing on which baits are going to work 
and just you know leave it to the pros at Monster Bass. Uh, basically, it's like having your own personal fishing guide, and it's changing the way bass fishermen shop for baits. They're quickly becoming the number one fishing brand of anglers everywhere. They've got the best baits, the best brands, and you're covered by the industry's best customer service. So, if you want to catch bigger bass this season, head over to monsterbass.com and use the code VOLS10, V-O-L-S-10, and get $10 off your first box. Sign up for Monster Bass now. So uh, let's uh, let's go into the defensive side. Um, I guess we can start with defensive line if you're good with yep. that. I, I, that. I, I, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Um, uh, so I was yeah, going to go say ahead. the big story this week has been Byron Young uh, being a guy that's stepping up, that's doing really well. You know, that's what the news stations are running with. And I literally said this on early signing day back in December that I love this guy. I thought he was a great build, um, a good size defensive end with high energy, high motor. And I said it before spring practice that this is going to be the guy to watch. This is going to be the one. I would, sorry to interrupt you. I don't. I wouldn't consider him though a defensive end. Like I just wouldn't. Like he's he's gonna be an outside linebacker in my in my opinion. Maybe you you, you differ from that. I mean, outside linebacker slash defensive end just depends on what defense you're running. I mean, you're running the three four or four three. They can well, play I just both. Don't want people, I mean, yeah. I no. I get you that, can, but he's but he doesn't. He's not a. He's not like a six four two fifty guy. Like he's not. He doesn't look like a Tyler Barron. Like definitely defensive end. He looks more like a linebacker. But doesn't matter. Yes. He's gonna be. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He looks more like a linebacker in the generic sense of the of the term, right? He's not as heavy as some defensive ends out there, but he's still a strong, rocked up dude, and you can see that he just looks the part. Um, I would agree. Maybe he's more of an outside linebacker, but. You know, they put Von Miller as an outside linebacker, and he's better at rushing the passer than anything else in coverage or anything like that. So I'm just excited for Byron Young. I think he's going to be awesome. Uh, Well, we we can get to Byron Young, but I have him more in my linebacker core. Okay, okay, okay. So we'll talk about other defensive linemen. Another one I'm I'm excited about is Elijah Simmons. I thought he stepped up a lot. It was – it almost felt like over the past, you know, year, two years that some of the defensive line were just underperforming. They weren't really taking advantage of their size, their strength, and being able to, you know, really show some gumption out there. I mean, that's what it felt like. And watching Elijah Simmons talking to Cooper Mays, he's like, Hey, he's giving it all he's got. He's giving me all the work he can do. Like, he is getting after it and he's going to be really good. And I was like, Oh, that's great to hear. I watch one-on-ones. I see him do some crazy spin moves through one-on-ones, like show this athletic ability of a 300 plus pounder is awesome to see. And I, I, I'm very excited about these guys stepping up because there was even guys when I played like the Khalil McKenzie's where it, was, it just felt like they never got to where they're at their top. They're at the top of their game um and performing to the best of their abilities yeah Khalil's a big time bus we all know it 
<laughs> no, he just not. He was fine. He was just. I mean, we just there was so much pub behind him. Um, but so jumping into it when I came over there and was watching, I guess more of the one on ones and stuff. And I know you were talking with um, um, Cooper and Cade and um, Darnell Wright and some of those guys. And I was walking like first off. And then I was talking, talking with Coach Abernathy. I know he's not like an on-the-field coach anymore, but one of the player development guys, I was talking to him. But, like, defensive line really should hopefully be the strength of the defense, which two years ago or three years ago, like, I was always telling people, like, I'm still worried, like, in the SEC, you have to be dominant and, 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 and have really good offensive line and defensive line. Like, in all, all of football, the game's won in the trenches. But, like, you can't compete in the, in the SEC when you don't have a good defensive line, and that means stopping the run and, and getting after the passer. I know we have a bunch of names, and I think they could be potentially good. I thought Elijah Simmons – the funny thing is, is, like, Elijah Simmons is a big boy, but, like, he doesn't necessarily look, like, imposing. Like, I don't see – and I'm not like, gum, like, buddy's, like, 6'5", 330 – He's but not like, the first guy off the bus. Just, right. Just say that. But, 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 but you can still tell like he is so thick and compact and strong. Like he doesn't look like a, a, um, a uh, McCullers, but you know, he's going to be that same purpose. Like he's going to be a solid rock in the middle. I thought he did do a pretty good job of using his hands. I thought he did pretty well with like his quote unquote pass rush. And you don't really need a pass rush in the middle. You just need someone to collapse the pocket. So, I think everyone's excited about him. He's lost some weight is what Coach Abernathy said. He's, he's done pretty well. But then yeah. you jump into you jump into Darrell Middleton, who looks like a like a stud. Like, he looks like he could take over a game. you got Aubrey Solomon. Like, those guys that looked apart. But the ones that still stood out to me were Greg Emerson. I thought he's just, a, a you know, a baller, a good player, yeah. and, and can be really good for us. And then I love Matthew Butler. Like, I think Matthew Butler kind of has that vibe of – like kind of being a leader for, for this team. Um, I thought he did good on one-on-ones. I felt like he had a good motor. I felt like he's a good-sized cat. Like, he's, like I just feel like the D-line could have potential. But I just, once again, saving this till later, our defense is just not going to be very good. So I think that people are, are going to give those guys a lot of – they're just not going to get any credit because I don't think they're going to have much support directly uh-huh. behind them. Right. Uh, yeah. And, but, and, but, but and, there's, there's still so many guys that like, I just listed off, like I said, Middleton, Simmons, Solomon. I didn't say Tyler Barron, who I thought looked pretty good on some one-on-one stuff. He's put some yeah. weight on. I wish he was a little bit faster. He doesn't have that electric pop, but I think he's going to be a good consistent player. Good motor. Yeah. Like I said, Matthew Butler. So there's, there's some guys like there, there, there's some guys there, but you know, we'll we'll wait and see how they all mesh together, produce and stuff like that. Like, you know, we don't have a Derek Barnett, um, but but hopefully as as a unit they can they can at least be productive and at least win the line of scrimmage. Yeah, and I, I you know, I think like you said, calling out all those guys, they're all bigger, thicker yeah. guys. I mean, they're all yeah. pushing three hundred, you know, Ty yeah, Green's yeah. probably two sixty. Yes. Uh and that's, I mean, that's good thick size for a defensive end. So it, it makes me feel good in the run defense scheme. Like you said, there's not a Derek Barnett where he can get after the passer. But 
just depending on the defensive scheme, bringing down Byron Young and having him get after the passer can be that guy for us if we need something on third down where he's the special rush um, and we can still get pressure on those guys. And like I said, Elijah Simmons was still impressive during pass rush drills, so they can definitely make an impact in the middle. Um, it, it's just not. It's just nice that I can list off, you know, five, six, seven guys that have all played who've all been somewhat productive. Like yeah. I'm really happy. I'm not sitting here saying two dudes and then we don't know about the rest of them. Like, so at least, yeah. it, it, and maybe yeah. I feel, maybe, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm being a little, a little, um, you know, arrogant or, or ignorant to the fact that these guys haven't been that great in the past. I think they've been fine, but I still think as a group, they can be okay. Is what I'm trying to, yes. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yes. Yes. And yeah, just, better and better improving on what they've done in the past. And I think Rodney Garner is such an entertaining and great coach being, you know, 30 years of experience in the sec and being out there at practice. He is so hard on these defensive linemen uh, all up in their faces, making sure they know what to do, what they're not doing. Correct. Uh, You know, I, I think I saw some tweets and stuff of, fans root like cheering that he was getting into somebody uh, at the open practice and that is him like there was a point where he was like <laughs> they were doing blocking drills just double team drills he says to somebody i forget who it was he was like you are the nail and he's the hammer you're the nail and he is the hammer <laughs> yeah. oh, like, this is great i mean he holds them accountable in every sense of the word. So it's, it's awesome to see a coach, you know, really be that vocal and hold guys accountable and and make them better as players. So great to see that now. So sorry to interrupt, but got to shout out another sponsor in Sunday scaries. So I don't sleep very well myself. I actually have a CPAP machine. I have sleep apnea, but a lot of people, you know, stay up, night after night, thinking about all the different things they could have done differently throughout the day. Stress and anxiety weighs on you, um, and you can't ever really feel like you can fall asleep. And it sucks. Uh, Fortunately, they're Sunday Scaries, and they have products specifically for overthinkers and night owls. Um, Sunday Scaries CBD gummies help to decompress, clear your head, and fall asleep. Uh, so you can actually wake up and be a fully functioning human being the next day. Uh, so there's no risk to buy. Uh, the company offers a 100% lifetime money-back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You'll get your money back. Sunday Scaries is in the stress-relieving business, not stress-causing business. So I got a 25% off uh, code to prove it to you. Uh, so visit sundayscaries.com and use my promo code believe that's b l e a v uh for your discount it's 25% off at sundayscaries.com they're amazing and you won't regret joining this squad let's move into the position that we are going to need some help at uh, Bro, it's this, brutal. This was brutal. already talked about, you know, through spring practice, seeing that, you know, Henry Toa Toa was transferring, uh, you know, some other guys are transferring, guys getting suspended for different things. 
that it was a very thin position at linebacker. And as we were at practice, we really understood exactly how thin this linebacker position was. Reed, you want to go into more depth? Uh, oh, yeah. I've been waiting. I could do a whole podcast on our linebacking crew. Um, it's scary. It is so, so scary. And this is this is true, and I'm not being mean to any of these guys. Um, but I literally walked over to Kyler, and I said, I knew our line – like, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie all this in at the back end of the podcast too, but I walked over to Kyler, and I said, bro, I said, our twos – at linebacker, no offense to these kids, legitimately look like they should be playing on a Division II or Division Three program. I said some of our twos and then the guys that they had running with threes would not have started at Knoxville Catholic over some of the kids that we've had there in, in the past. In the past, it, it just I'm, I'm not being mean. It just they didn't look – I mean, size-wise was brutal. I mean, size-wise they legitimately – I don't care what they're listed at. Size-wise, some of these second and third stringers were they, – they, I felt like they are about 6'1", like 215. I mean, that's what they look like. They look like oversized DBs, but they weren't even like rocked-up DBs. It was, just, it was just really eye-opening. And I remember when I came – you know, when I went to Memphis, it's, it was a Conference USA school. Um, we weren't any good. But two things that we had were some linebackers. I mean – we had a guy who had transferred from Mississippi State who played SEC ball as a true freshman at Mississippi State, was like second-team All-SEC. But he was like 6'3", 6'4", 250, you know, rocked up, jacked up, looked the part, could play the part. And I'm like, we had that at Memphis, but this is the University of Tennessee. And I'm not trying to go on a tangent here, but, like, I just feel like, you know, I've told the story about Kevin Simon, Kate, Special K, was at the practice. I know we, we talked with him for a little bit, but like growing up from what, from what all I can remember when it started with Al Wilson, Ray Knock Thompson, Eric Westmoreland, then you had Kevin Simon and Kevin Burnett. And then you had guys like um, Gerard Mayo. Right. Exactly. Gerard Mayo, who was just so, so good. And like, even, even we weren't that good at teams. And I admit that I was hard on these guys, but like AJ Johnson, like, he looked apart and he is balling out in, in, in the NFL right now. Like, I feel like we haven't had that consistently in a while. Like, no offense, but like, we had what, uh, like, it seemed like he was there for years, but, um, oh gosh, what's that freaking kid's name? Um, redhead, undersized, uh, jumper. We had freaking Colton jumper out there playing. <laughs> like, it seemed like for the longest time we just had a bunch of undersized dudes. I love Jalen Reeves Maven. He was a great college player, but like dealt with some injuries, wasn't a big guy. And it was so sad that like when uh Darren Kirkland Jr. went out, he was a four star. Yeah. We acted like we acted like he was a five star number one linebacker in the in the country recruit when he came here because we were just so we hadn't had any good productivity at that level at S, like an SEC linebacker. I mean, yeah, I'm watching games. And, like, Mississippi State has got dudes that are about to get drafted in the second, third rounds, and, like, we got Colton Jumper. And then and then Darren Kirkland, like, wasn't what he was – like, I don't know. Like, it just stinks. Like, I feel like the University of Tennessee, we should just be able to have dog linebackers year in and year out. Now I'm going to jump into some names. So, Jeremy Banks was at practice. He wasn't, he wasn't starting – or he wasn't practicing. He's not even that imposing. Like, he, he just wasn't. Like, I was standing next to him, and he was in pads, and I wasn't, like – 
I didn't feel like that he was some imposing. So, like, that's scary. Then the guys who they had that were pretty much starting was P.A. Garland, and his name is, uh, I guess, Quase Garland or Quanze Gar. I don't know. On the back of jerseys, P.A. Garland is number 15. He looked like a decent-sized high school linebacker, like had some swag about it and stuff, but like still light in the pants, probably only 215, 220, 225. And then right next to him was, was Morvin Joseph. Now, I don't know if, if that's some of the reason I know Morvin Joseph was like a pretty big time recruit coming out or someone I at least heard about. And I don't know if it wasn't, he didn't play much last year because he wasn't able to pick things up, but he poor kid was getting yelled at for probably three straight periods. And I'm like, dang, they are riding him so, so hard. But like, and I get there trying to coach him up because he does look like he has the speed and, and talent. He's not very big. Um, but like, it, it was just, like I could just ramble on for days. Like it was just brutal. Like size wasn't there, depth wasn't there. I mean, your boy that you were just talking about, um, uh, Byron Young. Yeah. That you're talking about, I told you, I said, he's the only guy that legitimately looks like a dog SEC linebacker. He's really one of the only guys on the entire team that look like an SEC linebacker, SEC player, which is really scary. I'm like, you know, where we want to be, Alabama, LSU, Florida of the world, they got like 17 of those guys on the defensive roster. Some of them might not have been starting yet because they're true freshmen are coming in. Like, we, we just don't have that. We just don't have that in – I, I really hope these guys that got in trouble are able to come back just to get some depth. But, man, our linebacking core was – it was scary. And those guys were practicing hard, trying hard. And I loved – I loved that the coaches were coaching them up hard. And I don't mean hard as in, like, yelling at them. Dog, but they were just – you could tell these – all these coaches there – I'm not saying they were, like, being dicks to them and just riding their butt. Morvin Joseph was getting it uh, – was getting his butt ridden pretty hard. But the other ones were like, they just, they were like, hey, you know what? We know, I almost felt like these coaches know these are not SEC caliber linebackers and that they're not going to really help the team. But they were just still coaching these guys up. And it was like, I, it, it, it took me back to what they said. They said, hey, we're going to worry about who's here and we're going to coach the kids up who are here and we're going to do the best yeah. we can. And I felt that. I felt like they were like, hey, Henry T ain't here. Who cares? Screw him. Like, crowd chain here, who, whatever. The kids that are suspended, they're not here. doesn't matter. We're going to spend our time and we're going to coach up the kids that are here. It was just really scary to see because if one or, the other, one or two of those guys go down, we literally are going to have walk-on linebackers that don't look like they should be playing for Division II schools as our starting linebackers in the SEC. No offense yeah. to anybody not being mean to anybody. It looked – it was brutal. It was brutal. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I agree. Whenever I – actually got a chance to see them um you know the first team period and they brought it up it it was crazy to see like they they <laughs> they did look like high school players uh just size comparison um and you know like you said i i don't think we've had an imposing linebacker since aj johnson where i love Jalen reese maven he's a great friend of mine but Jalen was, you know, 6'2", 220, wasn't very, like, imposing uh, kind of guy, but he was athletic, he was fast, he, you know, got after the ball, made some plays, which is really good. Um, you know, Darren Kirkland, he wasn't the imposing guy. Even though he was seen as that, he wasn't 250. You know, he was 220, 225. Um, 
And, you know, you feel like you're missing that. You feel like you're missing that opposing guy in the middle to where when an offensive lineman sees him, he's like, oh, crap, I got to go block this guy. He's going to headbutt the crap out of me. I don't want to block him. He comes and he delivers when he comes downhill to fill the gap. And when you're missing that, it, it does make a difference. Uh, like you said, I hope these guys can come back and add depth. But, you know, two of them are freshmen. We have no idea their capabilities, you know, that, that their their knowledge of the game, you know, how they're actually going to be able to play, if they're going to get experience. And the other played special teams last year. So it's up in the air at linebacker. And, you know, you said at practice after just looking at the linebackers, watching them go that, hey, we typo might need some time to get some good recruits in here. Well, to yeah, build up that position group. Yeah, that's what I'm, and that's what I'm going to dive into towards towards the end of this is kind of. But it was just so eye opening and so scary, and I was like, bro, like you can't play, you can't play SEC ball with linebackers like that. You can't play any high level college football with like like that. I mean, you just can't. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I'm really excited to see the spring practice. I mean, uh, the spring game and see who's out there and how they play in a game setting and stuff like that. But that's the other thing is too, like you said, we, these guys are freshmen. We have no idea how they're going to be or anything. And that's how desperately I feel like we need them just because I'm like, we need anybody we can take. And so like, if they're somewhat, you know, more physical and better size and also, you know, better recruits. Like we just need them just like we need depth. Like if not, it could be the worst linebackers I've ever seen in my lifetime at an SEC school, at an SEC school, not at Tennessee, but like at an SEC school, like that's just how bad it looked. So. Yeah. So uh, sorry for the bad news there fans. Um, But uh, we'll, we'll transition into DBs. Um, Like before I didn't get to watch them a ton. Uh, Cause I was concentrating on the D line and the offensive line more. Uh, but w- the, the little part that I did see uh, it was a, you know, a half field drill where, you know, two to three wide receivers on one side, two to three DBs going against each other um, little screens, bubble screens, um, you know, some route combinations, hook and curls, all that kind of stuff. And I thought, the DBs were very aggressive. I thought they were coming downhill, popping some guys. They weren't afraid to make tackles on running backs whenever the team periods were together, which I like. Um, and, and But, you know, even if guys were getting beat, weren't, we didn't really get to see Alante Taylor. He wasn't uh, going full go at the practice. And that's not to say that he's hurt, but that's just like, hey, this is our best guy. We know what he can do. We're not going to put them out there if we don't have to put them out there at certain points. I mean, that happens all throughout football. So, you know, if you don't see a guy doing an individual drill, it's because you don't want him getting hurt in an individual drill. I mean, I remember when I was playing at Tampa, the starting center did not do one-on-ones one time. The, like the entire two months I was there on practice squad, he never did one-on-ones because it was a waste. He's a starting center. They know how good he is. They know he's going to be playing. They don't need to see him do one-on-one. So I was just getting tons of reps at one-on-ones because he wasn't out there. So in the same sense that, you know, people will do that for every position. Hey, you know, if you're feeling a little tired today, the legs aren't quite there. Hey, take this individual period off. You know, I want you to a team or, you know, 
hey, get some rest with this practice. And guys like Alante Taylor, who are going to be very important for that entire group because he's the most experienced and probably the best DB that we have. I think it's important that he's healthy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what's going moving forward. Yeah. I don't know what was up with him. He wasn't practicing. I will say this. Alante Taylor might not have been practicing, but that boy was engaged. Like the entire time, like he was up there making play calls. Like he was like, you know, cheering the guys on if you want to call it, but he was super engaged with his players, with his DBs, with the, what what was being called, all that stuff. So um, yeah, he, but anyway, so yeah, I watched a lot of the DB stuff. Um, it looked like at the time the starters were Tank McCullough, no surprise, at safety, Trey Flowers at safety. They were running Theo Jackson a lot at the nickel and the star, uh, Warren Burrell. And then why, while Alante Taylor was out not playing the other corner, it was uh, Kenneth George. Um, so a lot of the names that we've all known, we've all heard before, like guys that have, have played a, a, a decent amount of ball, once again, what really made me nervous is I think these guys could be good. And what makes me nervous is that like the D like the same thing with the D line. Like I just named a bunch of names of guys who have played a lot of reps, a lot of, a lot of reps, like Alante Taylor's played a bunch. Flowers has played a bunch when he had been injured. Tank McCullough's played a, a good amount. Um, you know, Warren Burrell played a good amount last year. Um, so it's like, these guys have played a lot, but like, they're not like proven that they're just studs. It's not like, hey, we have, you know, um, Eric Berry and um, Demetrius Morley coming back, or we don't have Jabril Wilson and, um, um, you know, what, like these guys who were like in Rashard Baker, like these guys were there, they played well, we knew they were going to be good safeties. Like, we just know these guys have played a lot. We don't necessarily know that they're going to be that good. What I'll say is it scared me is, they were getting cooked up a lot in one-on-ones, which one-on-ones are very difficult. One-on-ones are so, so tough when you're guarding a man one-on-one, he knows what he's doing, you have no idea what he's doing, and you don't have any help. Like, the only help you have in one-on-ones is a sideline and a boundary. That's really the yeah. only help you have in one-on-ones. You don't have a safety. You don't have this, that, and the other. Like, it's as hard as it can get. Like I said, it still made me nervous when Jack Jansen's out there balling. Like, he literally went up against – Tank McCullough, our starting safety, one of our leaders. Granted, it's a safety position, so you don't have to play a ton of one-on-one. But, like, you know, like, he pretty effortlessly, like, I think he almost ran just like a slant or like a or like a, a kind of like a shallow post and, and beat our starting safety. I'm like, dang, like, anyways, I'm trying not to think too much into it because it is just one-on-ones. The positive notes about this stuff is I loved how these guys competed. They did fly around. They were pad popping. They were trying to make plays on the ball. Another thing I saw is those DBs go were going to the whistle. Like there was one thing in team where a guy made a really nice catch across the middle, and it looked like he could have just made one move. And you know how it is in practice, make one move, and kind of you're past everybody, so it's quote-unquote a touchdown. One of the DBs who was beat came up across the field and punched the ball out. The whistle had literally like was – Simon Taylor said the whistle was about to be blown because, but this player kept kept playing, beat the ball out. Everybody went nuts. Coach Martinez went nuts. Like it was, it was good to see. And like you said, these boys were physical on that. Um, like they were doing that half field three on three on each side with receivers and DBs. And like they had Austin yeah. Pope in at the slot, and they were working on these quick screens 
he'd come up and try to block on someone. He's 6'4", 240, and these DBs were competing and fighting. Uh, another guy who I looked up after I left, and I didn't really know who he was, was a Tyus Fields, number 17. He's actually one of the guys. It was him and Ramel Keaton. I think it was Ramel Keaton. I know it was Tyus Fields for sure, and I think the, the receiver was Ramel Keaton. They got into that fight, and it was a good practice fight. They were both going hard, a little chippy. Then it, they started scrapping. A bunch of people ran in, you know, and it was fine. But, like, I like how he fine. Could, What's that? They just pulled it apart. Everybody was right. fine. Right, exactly. And then, but, like, Tyus Fields was competing a bunch. Like, it was definitely someone that I was like, who's this 17 cat? Like, you know, but, um, you, you know, was like, he, I, he at least caught my eye. But anyways we have a bunch of guys that have played a decent amount of ball that should be pretty good. But I just, I think it's like the best example I can get is like the start of the season. If we really want to drink the Kool-Aid, I could be like, Kyler, like DBs are going to be good. Like we got flowers and we got a lot Taylor. We got tank back there bringing the heat. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then like three games, they were like, wow, these guys are getting smoked. You know what I mean? It's like it's like their their names that we know and they've played a lot, but like I yeah. can't say that they've made a, like a bunch of great plays. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and 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 that's why it's nice to actually go to practice and see them see them play against each other and see see them compete. It's just it gives you a better understanding of where they're at because if you don't see that, you go straight into the season. All you're thinking is the name. I remember that he played before. I remember that one play he had that was really good, and you're got all the confidence in the world. And that's usually what happens with UT fans is we get a lot of hope, a lot of confidence going into the season and don't realize, you know, some guys are a little off. They're not quite the tier that they need to be. Um, but I think like we said, explaining kind of the defensive side of the ball, this offense and how much they can score is going to be very, very important because very. I don't – I do not see this defense making a big difference in games. And you know what? For a first year, that could be all right. I mean, you look last year, Ole Miss with Lane Kiffin, it was only offense. They were the closest team to Bama the entire year because they just scored and scored and scored and scored, but they also let Bama score and score and score. And, you know, they made a bowl game in Lane's first year and it was fun to watch them and explosive and they made top 10 SEC plays and, you know, Lane's throwing his clipboard up in the air and all that kind of stuff. So even if the defense is struggling, I think we're still going to be an exciting team to watch and, and Vol Nation will enjoy that at least. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, defense could just be really, really poor. And and the other thing is, like, I'm not going to say our offense, like, is going to be incredible because, like, I've only seen them against our defense. And, like, our defense is probably going to be historically bad this year, if I had to guess. Like, I hope not, but I could just see them being historically bad. So, I'm not going to crown our offense as being incredible. I Let me – I'll tie everything up and kind of start my rambling, and then I got some other stuff we want to talk about. I told you – and I told some of my other buddies that after going to practice what I've seen, this coaching staff, a hundred thousand million percent needs at least four years before we really know. Because me as a fan, 
it opened my eyes up so much. I can hear people on the radio. I can read Twitter. I can hear people saying, well, you know, we probably only got about, instead of about 80 scholarship kids, we're down to 50. I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. Like excuses, excuses. And then I'm like, well, then we don't have depth here. And we've had to get rid of these guys. I'm like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. Like we just, your, your job is to go win games. You're making multiple millions of dollars, go win games. And then I get to go there and I get to see it with my own two eyes. And I'm like, holy freaking moly. Now, maybe I would have felt that same way if I'd gone Butch's first couple of years or Pruitt's first couple of years or whatever. But I'm showing up and I'm seeing this and I'm like, dude, these guys are so behind the eight ball. Like, we could hope, hope to make quick jumps in the next year or two to just be at Ole Miss's level or Mississippi State's level or like Arkansas's level and be a program like that. But we don't want to be that. We want to be Florida, Bama, LSU. People don't understand, A, how hard it takes to get there, and B, how long of a road we have. Like, it's really hard to get there. If you're, if you're just starting at a level, say we're starting at zero and we want to get to 10, that's hard enough. Bro, Heifel and these coaches ain't starting at zero. They're starting at about negative three or four. And so I just hope these fans know, like, it, we're not going to really know even how good of a coach Heifel really is probably for a year or so until he gets some players. And I'm not trying to out anybody, but one of the first things out of his mouth when he was talking to you and talking to us and we were standing there talking and you were talking about how excited you were for his offense and to see everything, and he said, we're going to be all right. He said, we'll be all right. He goes, I, he goes we got to get some, we got to get some dudes in here. He's like, once we get some dudes in here, he's like, we got some good ones so far right now. But like, that was really telling to me. Like, yeah. he knows it. We all know it. I just don't know if 100,000 screaming fans on Saturdays are going to be like, rah, rah, yeah, yeah. And then a week later, they're going to be calling in to sports talk, wanting his head. Like, these people, don't be ignorant, folks. Like, don't be ignorant fans. Like, we have a long way to go, and sadly, I, the next year, this is a huge recruiting year for him. He's going to have to bring in some good recruits. He's going to have to bring in some JUCO kids, maybe get some transfer kids, and then, as I jokingly say, hopefully starts cheating again in a couple year or two <laughs> because, like, he's just way behind the eight ball, and it, it really is. It's, it's tough to see. It, it really it, it just stinks. When you start as a coach with a program that has just been so deflated, like Tennessee has, you know, NCAA sanctions are still up in the air, you know, guys getting suspended, all these starters going into the transfer portal. I mean, this is one of the worst scenarios slash situations a head coach has had to go into. And I don't, know if everyone grasps that and realizes like how bad he actually has it. And I completely agree that he's going to need four years just to get in dudes that he wants. And Reed was correct. That is one of the first things he said to me, just got to get the dudes, like got to get the dudes in because, you know, it's not always about X's and O's. Sometimes it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's and it's about the guys going out there and competing and doing what they're supposed to do out in the field. And if you don't have that, you there's no shot. I mean, there's no shot if you don't have a guy that can cover Kyle Pitts. Like, he's going to score on you. Right. So, right. if you don't have the guys to compete against other ones in the SEC, that there's nothing you can do. There's only so much scheme that you can draw up to, you know, try and confuse the other coach across the field. But – if you don't have someone who can win one-on-one matchups, you're not going to go very far. 
and I, I am always trying to stay positive as much as possible when I'm watching Tennessee, when I'm rooting on Tennessee, but I am realistic in knowing that this is not a quick fix. This is not, you know, we're not going to go eight and four next year. Like that, like that is unrealistic to think that that could possibly happen. Um, I just want to see competition, to see competitiveness, to see effort, to see that a culture is being formed with this new coaching staff. So when you're talking about steamed up and we need dudes, Hypel can get the ball to a, a guy in the open field, whether it's a running back, a tight end, a slot, and he might make one guy miss and get another three yards and we're looking at a seven, eight yard gain. Okay. But for all of us to want to get where Tennessee wants to get, he's going to have to recruit the guys that he gets the ball to. They make three dudes miss and he's gone for 45 yard touchdown. Like, you know, or like you said, we got to have a safety or an outside linebacker who can lock up a Kyle Pitts, who can get around, uh, you know, on an, on an edge rush and, and make the plays like, there's only so much scheming you can do. Um, and it also just makes it a hell of a lot tougher that we're in the SEC and that we – every year we play Bama. Every year we play we play Florida. Every year we play Georgia. And I'm not – we're not asking for any pity. Like, we're not asking for any of that. We are where we are. Like, sometimes it would be nice to be, like, in the ACC or, Pac like, 12. even or, – Or Pac-12 or maybe even, like, some of the Big 12 – or Big 10. And it's just like – we could we could sneak out. We like I thought we could be these fake good teams. Like no offense to some of these teams, but like in Iowa, you look up and like Iowa's like five and two, and they're like the eleventh ranked team in the nation. You're like what? And then they play a real team like Ohio State, and they get blasted. Or like Northwestern has their little run, or like you know someone on the Pac-12, like you know like I'm just throwing out random teams, but like um, Oregon State. Yeah, it's like Oregon State. You look up and it's October, and they're like five and two, six and one, and they've, like, not been super impressive, but then they play, like, one good team and get blasted. You know what I mean? So, it's just, like, I swear if we were in the ACC, we would still be a top 25 program every year or top 25 team every year because it's, like, yeah, I'd love to play Boston College. Like, yeah, I'd love to play, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, Georgia Tech. And so, I just think we got a long road ahead. Um. I'm, I'm listen. The funny thing is, is like I went to practice and I leave still having more questions and answers because it is practice. It's only spring practice. It's still very early. Um, but I'm just happy that I got to see it because I feel like I got to see it up close and I understand how long of a road it's going to be. And I know they just had the open practice to all the fans yesterday, but we know that there's going to be a lot of fans that were in there and like, yeah, man, like, I saw them quarterbacks out there dropping dimes and doing this, doing that. It's like, and they're like, we're, we should be fine. And like, we should win eight games next year. It's like, guys, like you have no idea, like what the level they were going up against for this or that, or how the coaches maybe tipped hands and one, I, I don't know. It's just like Tennessee fans, like we're not going to be good next year. We're probably not going to be good, good the year after that. Like, it's just, I, I loved, I loved how these coaches were coaching. I love the vibe. I loved how everyone was working hard. I really liked everything I saw, except, like, I just feel bad because these kids aren't going to get many victories this year. It just sucks. So, um, I agree. You know. it's, uh, it's tough to see. I think 
you know, of all of the coaches who have come in over the past, you know, 12 years, Lane, Dooley, Butch, Jeremy, now Heupel, honestly, it's gotten worse and worse that what they've come into. You know, I thought Lane came into a pretty good situation where he had recruits that that took a team to an SEC championship in 2007 and he was coaching in 2009. Like he had guys on his team that Phillip had recruited. He was able to get a recruiting class together uh, very quickly and, and, and recruit some good guys. Dooley got guys that Lane recruited top, top guys, four and five stars. And, and uh, that's why he was able to go to a bowl game his first year. Um, you know, Butch had a good amount of guys that, stayed instead of leaving early or transferring like they do nowadays they stayed the whole offensive line which was Juwan James Zach Fulton James Stone uh Antonio they all stayed for the last year which was Butch's first year so like that helps in the situation when he's coming into it and then you know Jeremy coming in it was worse than what Butch had. Like I said, Butch had those guys. It, it was such a drop off, you know, Butch's last year. And a lot of guys graduated that later year. A lot of guys left and Jeremy kind of had to start from scratch. And there was a lot of starters he had to develop. And Hypole is just in a totally different stratosphere where it's all of your starters are leaving. You only have a few guys that started last year that are, starting this year you know a couple wide receivers a couple offensive linemen not a quarterback none of the running backs none of the other offensive linemen you know a couple defensive linemen uh, you know your defensive line start but none of the linebackers only a couple dbs so you're just replacing all these guys losing leaders on the team and experience on the team and like you said just being realistic and understanding exactly where we're going to be for this year at least and hopefully we can transition into more wins and more wins and more wins but we're uh oh we're on the we're on the low end of the totem pole right now as a program and i think it's just time to be realistic and understand that as fans yeah Um, yeah it's it's gonna be it's gonna be tough i'll be watching i'll be excited to see what we do and you know, it's still uh, still like Christmas morning. I mean, we still haven't opened up the present and really seen how it's going to be on a Saturday. Yeah. Um, and, hey, man, Heupel maybe can't coach these guys up to, to win more games than I'm expecting. I just – the talent's just not there. And um, I just – it just stinks as a fan. I'm like, dang, like I got to wait like hopefully another two or three years before we're, you know, relevant again. But, you know, it is what it is. And – you know, I it, this sounds so cliche and so lame, but I just it was it was awesome to see. Like I said, I thought those coaches. I don't like like the overarching like dickhead coaches that just want to cuss and yell to hear themselves talk. And I thought a lot of these guys were very encouraging. I thought they were pretty down to earth. I thought they coached them hard, but they weren't unnecessary on them. Um, and um, yeah, I just and and, and I'm going to jump in. We've said all that stuff enough, but couple other things I want to mention is uh, we're not doing a big orange juice segment and I'm definitely not giving names uh, of these coaches, but they were coaches on staff 
that straight up made comments to me. And then I think one of them made a comment to Kyler and maybe some other people like about this whole Henry T thing, like, bro, these coaches don't want him back. Like, or at least some of the ones I talked to, like they made comments. They're like, his dad's out here. The exact quote was his dad's out here trying to get a bag from these other, other, other colleges. And like, they also made very glaring comments that he did not have a good season last year that like, he wasn't that good. They, they, I mean, one of them told me, he said, yeah, he was going around blocks. He wasn't that good in the open field. Like he missed a lot of tackles. He missed some plays. Like, you know, the, it was just very funny. Like, you know, that that's the stuff, you know, on the media, they're like, Hey, yeah, we're just coaching up the guys we got here. And then in person, they're like, Hey, F that guy. Like he ain't here. We don't need him. Like we don't want him. Like, he, you know what I mean? And even yeah. when, and it was funny because they said that because it's like, even with how bad our depth and probably talent is at linebacker, like, like they just don't want to be part of the, those games. Like obviously Henry T's dad's probably super d- tough and difficult to, um, to deal with. But like, so that was, that was one thing that was said. Um, and uh, I was trying to think of one other thing that was very glaring to me that, that they said that was kind of some juicy stuff that they just were straight up honest, like about it. So, yeah, but I mean, it, it, I think it's, you know, if, if someone is not there for you when you need them and they're just kind of like, F you, I'm leaving, I'm going somewhere else. As a person, not even as like oh. being their coach or being part of the pro, as a person, you're like, screw that guy. Like, he doesn't care about me. He doesn't care about us. Like, screw him. Like, why, why do we need him? Let's, let's look back and see if he was actually worth me getting on my hands and knees and begging him to come back. Like, I don't well, think anybody is worth that when you really look at it in the grand scheme of things. And the other thing is, too, that one of them made a comment. He said, I hope he goes to Bama because he ain't playing at Bama. That was his exact yeah. words. His exact <laughs> words were like, if he goes there, he ain't playing. Like, he's not going to be good enough. So, it'll be interested to see where he goes and how he does progress. But I thought that was very telling. I was actually kind of shocked when I was standing there talking with this coach and he was, um, you know, kind of, kind of saying that stuff. So um, that was one thing. The other thing I wanted to say and talk about was it was funny as we were leaving, they were wrapping up practice. We were getting out of there and it was just like, you know, people listening to this that know me and like, like they know how much of a foodie I am and like how I just love like, the good life or pampered life or like being a diva, but it was so funny. We were leaving and we like go in and like get like drinks and like some snacks for ourselves. <laughs> like as if we just finished practice and like get some Gatorades yeah. and get some peanut butter and jelly yeah. sandwiches. But it was so PBJ. funny how, what'd you say? I go to grab a PBJ. Yeah. And it was just so awesome. And it, it just cracks me up. Like, you know, even I was a, a walk on at Memphis and, we were terrible. Like we still had cool perks. So seeing how it is at UT, it's like at the end of practice, you walk in, they get everything laid out for it. Well, they had food and crap laid out before practice for these guys. And then at the end of practice, it's like any type of Gatorade or, um, you know, sports drink, any type of protein. They had the fruit, they had the PP and J's, they had protein bars. I'm like, I was more intrigued with that. I'm like, Oh Lee, I just want to eat like a bunch of this food. Like, they, they get the pampered life. Like, they get the good life because they work hard and they put the time in. But, like, it just always cracks me up when, you know, everyone wants to talk about, like, oh, poor pitiful me for the college football guy. And, like, they, they still get treated, like, so well. And um, But uh, overall, great experience. I do hope we get to go back in the uh, – for fall camp and, and see that. But um, 
as negative as I feel like I've been on this pod talking about the talent and stuff like that. I don't want to be because the kids were that were there were practicing hard, trying hard. I didn't feel like I saw any prima donnas really that were being, you know, too cool for school or anything like that. I felt like it was a good vibe. Like I felt like people just wanted to get there, practice, work hard and, you know, support each other. And I, I love seeing that because I've been a part of teams that weren't like that. And, you know, it's, uh, I just, you know, kind of almost spill for these kids in, in a, in a way. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm glad that you're able to see that, you know, me being a former player, I can understand that, but not everyone else gets the opportunity to really be at practice or, or see the work that goes into it. You know, you might see some social media posts, but it's, it's not the same. So right. I'm glad that you got to experience that. So, you know, you're kind of on my side of it where I always try and defend everybody just because I was in their shoes not too long ago, but uh yeah, great experience. I love the, you know, PBJs and the Gatorade. That's something I missed out on for sure. Um, I was living the good life, you know, being 330 uh, when I was down there. So, but um, yeah, so that's a full breakdown. Um, defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball. Uh, and, you know, a little bit of juicy stuff with Henry Toa But uh, I appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, please share with friends and family. Uh, you know, rate and subscribe. Uh, like and subscribe on YouTube. And if you have any questions, you can contact us. Uh, number, phone number, you can either leave a voicemail or a text is 865-322-9232. Or uh, we have an email address. That's believe in Tennessee football at gmail.com, or you can send some questions or topics you wanted to want us to touch on and uh, follow me on all social medias uh, at Kyler Curbison, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, and as always go Vols. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.